Sansuk, written by the Thermanfid and read for the Dwells of Gotlorian by XX Legolas Prince of Darkness XX, also known as Elani. of Erebor. This stood at the gates of Eredluin, her eyes flashing and her hair streaming behind her in the cool spring breezes. The last caravan to Erebor watched her attentively, their faces bright and eager. We are going home, she cried in her ringing voice of diamond and mithril, and a mighty cheer rose up from every throat. Turning, these began to walk away from the worked-out mines and the crumbling halls of Belagost that had sheltered them in their poverty, and raised her face to the east. She did not look back. Wagons rammed along in her wake as she began to march. Now there's a proper dwerdom, breathed Frise. Oh, my brave daughter! Train took her hand, and with wet eyes together they watched their last surviving child lead their people away from their reduced and pitiful lives towards the rising sun and Erebor. Torrin looked back over the great train of dwarves, carts, ponies, goats, and even a flock of sheep that stretched out behind his sister. All dwarves walked doggedly beside wagons that were pulled by oxen and draft ponies, their gnarled old hands wrapped around axes that had not seen use in decades. Families crowded in amongst their furniture on top of the wagon beds, and older children eyed the guards and warriors that planned the caravan with inquisitive and odd expressions. Keep up, keep up, blowing bellowed to a heavy car that was dawdling. The foothills of the Blue Mountains slowly slipped behind them, and before them rose the leal rolling hills of Emun Odial, and beyond that lay the great sheltered valley of the Shire. Got a long way to go as yet, my lads! The dwarves began to sing as they marched, and soon Thorin was humming along. And her beard was as soft as the downy wing of the birds that fly home at the call of spring. Oh, why did I leave her? Why did I roam? For now and forever I'll be marching home. I've not heard that one before, Gimli remarked, trudging alongside his father. Tis an old traveler's song, son, Gloin said, and as he had every time since returning to his family, his face creased with bemused pride. His reunion with Mizim, Gimlis, and Gimli upon his arrival to Eredluin had been nothing short of spectacular. Gloin had wrapped himself around his wife and held onto her tightly, burying his face in her pale hair. She put her hands either side of his head and drew it back, 
pressing the old scar over his brow with her thumb before kissing him deeply and gently. Hello, you old bear, she said softly, her hand slipping into his mane of wild red hair. You're late. Drool, he said, and his eyes misted over. More lovely than ever you are, Mizim, crown of my life, light of my heart. Don't think you can sweet-talk me into forgiving you now, she scolded him, before kissing him again. His hard, craggy face softened as she rested her head against his chest for a moment. He took her hands and kissed them one after the other, before turning to his children, and his mouth slowly formed a shape of an O. Thorin privately thought his expression was hilarious. Prerin, of course, didn't keep such things private. His brother killed over backwards, laughing his head off. Gloin's amazement was justified. Nearly three years wrought quite a change in a growing dwarf, after all. Gimnis now appeared more queenly than ever, all gold and topaz, the fiery sun to her mother's pale moon. And Gimli was no longer a lad. He was a strong and sturdy young Kuz, his arms thick with muscle and his beard lengthening rapidly. Gloin had coked for a moment longer before Gimris was hurling herself at her Adad, and Gimli was doing likewise, and Gloin was buried beneath the bodies of two mostly grown dwarves and groaning. Oof! You two are too heavy for me now, off with you! He wheezed, and Torrent chuckled at the sight of the bristly and imposing old warrior, spluttering and choking for breath. When he was pulled to his feet once more, and had regained some dignity, he took a delighted, reverent breath and touched the faces of his children with his great thick hands. Now look at these two giants, he said softly. Who is this brawny young warrior with a mighty beard? Who is this stout and strapping beauty with the hands of a craftswoman? Where are the wee badgers I left behind three years ago? We missed you! blurted Gimlis. Miss you so much, echoed Gimli, and Gloin tugged them close and held them tightly. Inudoi, not hit, he said against their hair, his eyes squeezing shut. Gimli, my son, Gimris, my daughter, I miss you so, my treasures. Missing bit down on her lip and wrapped her arms around them all. Don't you be going off on any more fool quests she said in a low voice, and Gloin only tightened his embrace. Bombard's reunion with his family had been far louder. Alris didn't even have a chance to greet her husband before a veritable horde of dwarflings swarmed Bombard and Bofor, shouting at top of their lungs. Bombard's children buried themselves against his warm and hefty body, snuggling close, investigated his walking staff with curious and grubby fingers, pulled at Uncle Beaufort's hat, and begged for a song and a sweet and a story. Beaufort tried to kiss and tickle all of them at once, he seldom heard booming laugh ringing out over the din. The oldest of the tribe patiently pulled the smaller ones away, and finally Alice was able to give her husband a smacking kiss, and show him the new baby, now two years old. 
a boy she had named Albor. He was a chubby, chuckling little thing, with brown hair and eyes that danced like sunlight on water. Bumbor gave the little one a whiskery bus on the top of the head, and then wrapped one arm around Aldris again, and pulled her against him for another ringing kiss. Hello, Lo, he said, and rubbed his face against hers. I missed you, my dumpling. What have you done to your leg? she said breathlessly. He shrugged. Got poisoned? Don't recommend it. Poisoned, daddy? Guess one of his male children, his eyes wide as saucers. Don't get too close to orcs, Boffer said succinctly, and a chorus of oh's rose from the crowd of children. Hospital food, Bomber said in disgust, and Alice threw her head back and laughed and laughed. It was because of his leg that Bomber had relinquished his pony and chosen to drive a wagon. Children festooned him, and he could be heard telling them recipes and stories as he guided the shaggy, sure-footed draft ponies. His reviews of elvish cookery were particularly colorful. At night, this would walk amongst the wagons and carts and check the perimeter and the watches herself. The many campfires made the valley of the noon appear like a bowl full of golden embers. Then she would return to her place at the head of the train and take her rest. Now and then Gimli or Gimris would join her, sometimes miss him, but most often she was solitary, a tall, straight sentinel watching over the scurrying of the dwarves below. With her hand on the pommel of her sword, she stood guard over them, her eyes sad and fond and determined. Thorin stood at her shoulder and looked over their people, returning to their home at long last. Thank you, sister, he murmured. I love you, Nadadith. Look after them for me, would you? She tucked a braid behind her ear and sighed. Thorin took our watch on the journey with religious dedication. He still had to make his amends, after all, and although he had made a start, he was still not convinced that he had done enough. His family joined him on occasion, but like this, he was very often alone. His time became structured and orderly, his meals, his forge, his family, and then the chamber of Sansuku. It was slow going. Traveling with so many wagons and children meant that the caravan moved at a far more leisurely pace than Thorin's company had. Bofor especially seemed to chafe at the dawdling, as he called it, and often ranged ahead with his mattock on his shoulder. Occasionally, he brought along one of Bombor's elder children, and once or twice he brought Gimli, to that lad's great excitement. Nothing happened, although they did spy a party of elves, making their way to Midlund, the Grey Havens, where they would depart Middle-earth forevermore. That's an elf? Gimli said, wrinkling his nose. And here I thought they were supposed to be fair and glorious. Hmm. They're all stretched and faded. Bofur chuckled. Don't be fooled. They might look like skinny and sippy twigs, but they are stronger than they appear, and their eyesight is much better than ours in daylight. 
An elf will put an arrow through your eye as soon as look at you. No beards at all, Gimli muttered under his breath and shuddered. The caravans forded the river Loon with great care and began to follow the old north road, built in the ancient days of the kings of men, passing south of the Emun Ulial. Eventually, the grey and rocky lands gave way to little green rolling hills, grassy sheltered valleys and carefully tended farms. In further to the south, smoke rose from little chimneys. Turing glanced around at the peaceful, plentiful land and felt something clenched somewhere in his stomach. As dust drew near, this signaled for them to make camp on a hill covered in nodding dandelions and clover. Bees hung merrily from their nest in a long apple tree covered in blossom, and birds piped in the distance from a nearby wood. Bomber shared a pointed look with Gloin. Gloin shrugged. He'll be here, he promised. Which way is Hobbiton from here? Bofor shaded his eyes with his hand. Bomber's eldest was wearing his hat. She was a jolly dwarf dam of sixty, called Baris, with dimpled cheeks and a sunny smile, and she marched along behind her uncle, with one of her siblings on her shoulders. Southeast, said Gloin after a moment. And there, look. A little figure was making its way along the winding paths between the little hills, running as fast as its large, woolly feet could carry it. A pack full to bursting bounced on its back, and his hands were waving excitedly. Oh, Bilbo! Gloin shouted, waving back. Is that a hobbit? whispered Gimris to her brother. Again, no beard, Gimli said and shook his head in sympathy. Bilbo came to the head of the caravan, puffing and holding one hand to the side of his chest. Oh, it's been a little while since I ran quite that hard and carried so much too, he said ruefully. Hello again. My goodness, I see what old Odo Bolger was so excited about. There are an awful lot of you, aren't there? With that, the hobbit was engulfed in a hug, and there was much backpatting smiles all around. Bombor tapped his forehead to Bilbo's, and Bofor tousled the curly hair as Gloin beamed at him. Thorin felt his father come to stand beside him. So, that was him. Thorin nodded silently. Trine regarded the hobbit for a moment, and then he grunted and put a heavy hand on Thorin's shoulder. I'm sorry, my son. Thorin just kept gazing at the brave little soul that could have, should have been his. Trine's powerful fingers tightened on Thorin's shoulder. I'll leave you be, he said kindly. We're here if you need us, Thorin. Remember that. Thorin nodded again and swallowed around his dry throat. Trine's fingers squeezed once more, and then he was gone. You should hear the rocks down at the Green Dragon, Bilbo was saying. Poor old Odo is convinced it's an invasion and he has the whole pub in uproar. Half of Brandy Hall, that's the Brandy Bugs, by the way, want to come out and see for themselves. The other half want to sound a horn. Call of Backland. The Brace Griddles are wringing their hands and fainting. The Grubs are calling it none of our business. The Puffins are trying to organize a welcoming party and the Tooks are giggling up their sleeves and egging everybody on indiscriminately. And the Bagginses, said Bomber, smiling. 
Beobal laughed gaily. Are pretending they've never even heard of dwarves, or dragons, or adventures, or rich mad cousins. Whenever somebody brings it up, they begin talking loudly about the weather, or about piting contests, or farmer maggots' dogs, or some such. It's terrifically funny. We don't normally pass so close to the Shire, said Beaufort. But seeing as it's the last load, so to speak, we thought we'd suggest a detour. So, all of the Blue Mountains are emptied? Bilbo looked downcast. Oh, I hoped you'd be coming back and forth for some time. Well, we've got our home back now, haven't we? Said Gloin, and patted the little fellow on the back. Thorin wanted to chop his hand off. I suppose, Bilbo said, and his shoulders slumped. Here, Bilbo, Bombor said into the ensuing silence. You should meet my family. That's Baris, my eldest, and over there's Bonfor, Bolrur, and Bofur, my terrible little tree of redheads. And the two big dark-haired lads there are Barum and Barur. Then there's Alfur and Arur and Alfris and Bonfris, tormenting that poor pony. Barum, stop that lot, would you? Before the pony dies of nerves, and over there is my lovely wife, Alris, and our two littlest ones, Bibor and Albor. Alris sketched a bow, her arms filled with squirming child. At your service, she called cheerfully. Thorin was a little dizzy after all those names. Bilbo seemed to have no trouble with such crowd, and bowed to Alris, smiling. At yours and your families, although I might be a little pressed to accommodate so many. Good gracious me, Bombor, I would think you were part hobbit. I like your feet, announced one of the horde of red-headed dwarflings. Why, thank you, Bilbo chuckled. They are indeed very respectable feet, even if the rest of me isn't. How long do you plan to stay camped here, in the North Farting? We'll be on the move almost immediately, said Gloin apologetically. Tomorrow morning, most likely. You know how it goes. My word, yes, Bilbo said, and then sighed in disappointment. Well, let's make the most of tonight then, shall we? said Beaufort. Bilbo perked up. Yes, yes, quite right. I brought a few little things for us to share, though now I hope they'll stretch far enough. We've seen how hobbits eat, said Gloin dryly. I'm fairly sure we'll do fine, lady. And just think, Bilbo. No washing up. Beaufort nudged him. Thorin wished everyone would just stop touching the hobbit. Bilbo rolled his eyes theatrically. Thank heavens! What did you bring? Bombor asked, rubbing his hands eagerly. Cheesecake? Here now, first you have to meet my set, said Gloin. This is my lad Gimli, and my lad's Gimris. Over there, tying down the cart, is my darling Mizim. Mizim, come here. Come meet our burglar. I'm a little busy, you daft old bugger, she snapped, in case you haven't noticed. Gloin gave them a sheepish grin. She's the jewel of my life, she is. I'll go and help her, said Gimnis, touching her father's arm. Gloin nodded and patted her hand, and she went to help her mother secure the old cloth and the ponies. Gimli and Bilbo regarded each other curiously. Hello there, Gimli, was it? Bilbo said. Bilbo Baggins, at your service. 
Gimli, son of Gloin, not yours. Gimli said automatically, and then tipped his head, studying the hobbit with an expression of slightly disturbed fascination. Doesn't your face get cold? Bilbo burst into giggles. Gloin tugged at his own beard to hide a smile. Ah, Gimli, my boy, hobbits don't grow beards. Oh, some do, but only those of store families, Bilbo said, giggling. Even then, it's nothing for a dwarf to boast of. I remember catching you all staring at me for the first couple of weeks when you thought I wasn't watching. And for the record, not one of you is any good at being sneaky. Well, except Nori. But the rest of you were not exactly subtle about it. Or was it my poor naked chin, then? That and your riding, laddie. Gloin said, and then snorted at the hobbit's expression of half amusement, half exasperation. Were we that rude? said Beaufort, grinning. You barged into my house, pillaged my pantry, drafted me to an adventure, and sang an extremely insulting song, Bilbo said, poking Beaufort in the side. Staring was the politest thing any of you did. Uh, um, my apologies? mumbled Gimli, scratching at his head. No harm done, Bilbo reassured him. And to answer your question, yes, my face gets quite cold indeed, which is extremely inconvenient, but it rises wonderfully quick compared to yours. Bombor clambered down from his wagon with slow and careful movements. Gimli and Bofor came to help him, and he eased his weight onto his leg before grabbing his walking staff and limping forward. So, what did you bring us then, Mr. Baggins? Bilbo's eyes lit up and he dragged his bulging pack from his back. I've got cheese, apples, bread, beer, three pies, a leg of lamb cooking the old cliff style, a curd ham, a great plum duff, and a whole brace of presents in here for you to take to the others. I'm afraid it's rather a lot to carry. Bofor and Gloin shrugged, and Thorin tried not to smile. He really did. But what Bilbo considered a lot to carry was barely noticeable to dwarves. He'd never really understood how hard and strong a dwarf could be, even after so much evidence. The hobbit dug through his overstuffed pack and made a soft aha sound. Here, he pushed a bundle of papers into Bomber's hands. All my mother's recipes, she was a took, you know, and collected recipes from all over the Shire, all the way as far east as Midwater. Bomber looked down with wide eyes at the crush bundle and pressed it protectively against his chest. Bilbo, he said, and his mouth opened and closed like a fish. Oh, hush, it's the very least I could do, Bilbo said, ducking his flushed face. Now I have mm, here. He handed Bofor a strange configuration of sheepskin and dyed leather, with neat little stitches in the shire fashion around the edges. It's your hat, do you see? Bilbo said, anxiously wringing his hands. I bought the skins from the Proudfit, and I had it copied by Belganji. Yours was such a wreck, after all, and I thought you might like to have a new one. I do hope I haven't upset you. Bofor slowly opened up the folded brim of the new hat that had a handsome red-brown and suddenly smiled. He pulled it onto his head, lifting his chin and tugging at the flaps. What do you think, lads? Oh, thank Mahal. I was going to burn the old one in his sleep, said Bombor with relief. Aye, 
Very proper, Gloin said and nudged Bilbo. Thorin growled under his breath. Would nobody stop touching the hobbit? Looks like a mine full of diamonds, don't he? All right, I'll lay it on too thick, said Buffer agreeably. Thank you kindly, Bilbo. It's a right fine hat. Why, I wouldn't be surprised if a hat made by a hobbit turns out to be lucky. Gloin, this is for you. Bilbo handed him a polished wooden box, its lid and sides carved with leaves and grapes. Gloin admired the carving for a moment, and Bilbo huffed. Well, woodworking is probably the only hobbit craft that you fellows might appreciate. Still, it's not empty. Open it. Gloin cracked it open, and Gimli peered over his father's shoulder to look inside. Pipeweed. Not just any pipeweed, my dear dwarf. That... Is long bottom leaf. It's the year of thirty-two, a very good year indeed. My dear hobbit, Gloin said, and eyed the box with new appreciation. I am deeply in your depth. Oh, think nothing of it, Bilbo said, beaming. Now, if you wouldn't mind, here, Gimli, would you give me a hand? Out of Bilbo's pack came the wrapped ham and lamb, the pies, the pudding, and the cheeses. Apples and a tightly stopper jug. Now, Bilbo said, strengthening his coat. The inks are for Ori, and the bottles are delicate, so be careful. The herbs are for Oin. So are these notes. I translated a couple of healing texts from the Elvish, and it was a lot of work, so don't you dare throw them away. Ah, this is for Dory. It's an embroidery pattern book from my aunt Hildegard. And some of those patterns are old enough to impress even Dory, I dare say. I hope he can get some use out of it. Bofor opened the little book and smiled at the curling designs with their friendly motifs of flowers, leaves and vegetables. Who knows? Perhaps hobbit stitching will become the new exotic fashion. You could start a trend. I fervently hope my trend-setting days are done, thank you very much, said Bilbo dryly. Now... This is for Nori, from one burglar to another. Bomber's forehead creased as he took in the candlesticks, the cheese knife, and a little silver gravy boat. What's this? Bilbo rubbed a hand through his hair and smiled a trifle wickedly. I discovered after I got back that it was only my frightful relatives who were a little too free with my belongings. A certain light-fingered chap had made off with a few small things on the night of the party. I thought he might like the rest of the set, with my compliments. Gloin burst out into roars of laughter, and even Gimli snickered. Beaufort clapped a hand over his eyes and wasn't able to speak for a moment, as his face began to turn red. Oh, he'll hate that, Bomber gasped. He's been found out. And he didn't even manage to pinch the lot. Oh, he'll be prickly for a month. Bilbo looked smug. That was rather the idea. Bofor pulled his new head down over his eyes and waved frantically at them to go on as he panted, trying to get his laughter under control. I had this made for Balin, Bilbo said, bringing out a curious little pot. Look at the sides. Blowing Bombor, Gimli, and Thorin. Bofor was still trying vainly to stop laughing, peered closer to the little thing, 
And then Gloin exclaimed, Why, that's a contract. Certainly, Bilbo said, turning the thing so they could see it. Dermiak Brandybuck is quite a clever potter, don't you think? I wrote out what I could remember of my contract and told him to paint it on the sides. Poor Darren. His usual work is flowers and ducks and the occasional pumpkin wine. I don't think he was expecting all that about lacerations, eviscerations, or incinerations any more than I had. Did he faint? asked Bomber, leaning forward eagerly. Amazingly, a sound of glee came from under Beaufort's head. Bilbo paused, and then he sighed. Yes, turned choked on his own laughter, as the members of his company erupted once more. Gloin and Gimli ended up with their arms slung around each other's necks, while Beaufort collapsed to the ground, with his heels swinging into the air. Bomber wiped his eyes, while Bilbo clutched his sides and gasped. As their laughter began to subside, Bilbo choked out. Nope! And that set them all off again. Bomber began to lean heavily on his staff, and both were pounded at the ground once or twice with a fist. Glenn was making tea kettle noises, and Gimli had to take on more of his father's weight. The poor lad was beginning to look rather red in the face. All right, all right, Bilbo managed to say between his chuckles. Well, on with it. I wasn't sure what to get before, until I remembered that he was a toy maker before he was a miner, and so he brought out a curious little thing with cogs and wheels. The assembled dwarves peered close with exclamations of interest. Ah yes, isn't it clever? It's a model of the old mill down at Hobbiton, you know? You can pour water in here, and the wheel turns and it grinds away. Well now, Bomber said, as he gently took the model in his thick-fingered hands. Buffer peeked out from under his head. His face was bright red. Buffer, look. Isn't that a dear little thing? My little lads would like that they would. And being hobbit and all, it seemed pretty special and out of the ordinary, Buffer said, smoothing down his ruffled moustache. Wonder if we could make a model back end. Oh no! No, 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 no! If I have an entire generation of dwarves creeping through my house, I will hunt you down and sting the pair of you, Bilbo said sternly. Bomber closed his mouth with a snap, and Bofor looked entirely too innocent to be believed. Last one, Bilbo said, tatting and turning back to his nearly empty pack. Dvalin, murmured Thorin. Dvalin said Bomber in the exact same tone, nodding. Glad to see one of you pays attention, Bilbo sniffed. Ah, here we are. What on earth, laddie? Gloin squinted at the myriad of brightly painted horse chestnuts, string threaded through their middles. Traditional hobbit weaponry, Bilbo said, a gleam in his eyes. I in particular have some skill at it, if you must know. No, said Buffer in disbelief. Not, said Gloin. Conquers, Thorin said, utterly incredulous. Conquers, Gimli echoed, and then he blinked in confusion. Thorin cursed his lapse of attention. What? Has one of you been telling tales? Bilbo put his hands on his hips and grinned at them. I challenge you to a game. 
But it's really not a fair fight. Oh, really? Gloin said, his chest puffing out. Mighty sure of yourself there, Mr. Baggins. Well, we'll soon see about that. Before long, Bilbo had all four, plus Gimli's, Badis, and Mizim, scrabbling over a game of conquerors. The jug was open to reveal a strong spirit that was met with general approval. Perhaps not for the young ones. That's Gaffa Gamgee's home distilled apricot brandy, you know? And the cheese and ham were quickly unwrapped and passed around. The dwarves threw themselves into the game with their usual healthy competitiveness, but Bilbo hadn't exaggerated his skill. He was winning easily and grinned triumphantly every time his horse chest knocked another out of the game. Thorin watched with a certain sense of bemusement. And they do this for sport, he muttered to himself. Peculiar folk. Here now, that's mine, you cheated. No, I'm the green one, you're the blue one. Any idiot can see that this one is steel. Honestly, call yourself my brother. Gimris, lay off. Ha, that's three to me. Too bad I'm on seven. Gloin, can't you? Best not to get involved, laddie. Bilbo leaned back, sighing with satisfaction and slapping his knees. And that's the game to me. Are all hobbits so good at throwing and aiming at things? Beaufort said, staring dismally at his half-horse chestnut. He hadn't won a single round. Bilbo shrugged. Bit of a hobby, really. The commotion had brought some attention to the group. Many of the other dwarves sent curious glances over to the hobbit, and his odd little game, his bare face and furry feet, Thorin bristled at their interest and barely restrained himself from barking at them to show their burglars the proper respect. The cooking stopped abruptly when a tall dwarf in a fern-lined hood came through the crowd to check on all the fuss. Dwarves and Hobbit all fell silent, and this raised a dark eyebrow at the game on the ground. Gimli, she said, turning to him. Ah, uh, hello, on this, he said, scrambling to his feet and brushing off his trousers. Just passing the time. The corner of her mouth twitched, and she turned to where Bilbo sat on the grass, fidgeting with a chestnut. Will you not introduce me? Ah, I, of course, Gimli said and cleared his throat. This, daughter of Rhys. I made known to you Bilbo Baggins of the Shire. He's a hobbit, he added unnecessarily. I can see that, Akunit, she said, her mitral pure voice lilting with amusement, though her face barely moved. This, at your service. Bilbo pulled himself upright and tried to look as dignified as a hobbit can, whilst holding a horse chestnut painted bright yellow. At yours and your families? This that rather sadly. You already have been. There was an awful silence, and then Bilbo burst out. You look so much like him. She froze, and then she dropped her eyes. Bilbo's mouth worked soundlessly, and then he also looked down. I'm sorry, he mumbled wretchedly. I shouldn't have said that. I'm always sticking my foot in my great silly mouth. 
Thorin couldn't stop himself from taking a short, sharp intake of breath, his hand reaching out to touch Bilbo's shoulder. His fingers passed through it, and he beat down hard on his lip until the sore taste of iron flooded his mouth. This lifted her head again as she took a breath. Yes, we were very alike, she said eventually. Although my brother was taller, and he had our mother's eyes. Oh, of course, I... Bilbo wrung his hands together. I just... Calm yourself, Master Hobbit, she said, and then she bowed to him with all the poise of her rank and all the dignity of a queen. Thank you for all you did for us. For them. Bilbo sniffled loudly, and his face was screwed up against tears. His clever little hands bullied his side. Thorin knelt before him and ghosted his hands over the back of Bilbo's arm. Thank you, Bilbo, he echoed. I didn't... Bilbo managed, and then he buried his face in his palms. Oh dear, he quivered. Oh dear, oh dear. Gimli, Thorin said desperately, help him. The young dwarf shifted his weight between his feet for a moment, looking uncertain. Then he said, Mr. Baggins was showing us a hobbit game on this. All heads turned to him, and he flushed as red as his hair before plunging on bravely. It's a mite tricky to get the hang of it, but I was starting to see how it was done. Do you want to try it? Bilbo blinked, and this looked rather perplexed. If Mr. Baggins is amendable, she said, turning back to the bemused hobbit. Certainly, he said, giving Gimli a long, bewildered stare. It's called Conkers. Aye, it's dreadfully fiddly, said Bofor, finally finding his voice. I'm the best at it, said Gimris proudly. Except for Bilbo here, Gimli said immediately, and he crossed his arms over his broad chest, scowling. And you gloat. Gloating's all part of the fun, Gimris said with a toss of her bright head. Not my fault you couldn't win a game against a dead orc. Gimris? Mizim snapped. Here, said Gloin, and handed this the red horse chestnut his hand gentle as he gave up his place. Sit down, cousin. I'm going to see if I can find Bombor a chair. Oh, don't bother on my account, Bombor protested, but tugged by his side. Young bodies nodded vigorously. Bombor grunted and poked his daughter in the shoulder, and she wrinkled her nose. Your leg's going to get all cramped sitting like that, Dad. Best to stretch it out. On this... Gimli said softly, and she hesitated for a moment before sitting down beside her young cousin and patting his knee. Don't fret about me, young one, she said. Time for your sister to watch her back. All right, then. Is that everyone? Bilbo said and picked up his yellow horse chestnut. Much, much later, the rumblings of hundreds of sleeping dwarves drifted through the pleasant shire air towards the star-studded night. Bilbo was rolled snugly into a blanket and curled up between Bofur and Bombor's bedrolls for all time's sake. 
Thorn sat opposite them as Bomber snore shook the ground. I felt something in him begin to uncurl and loosen. He leaned back and looked up at the sickle moon and almost, almost felt alive. It could have been any night of the quest, really. It could have been just another night on the road, guarding over his rumbling, sleeping company, just himself and the snores of his people and the calls of night birds under the watching night sky. Just like old times, Bilbo said with a yawn. My word, those stars are bright. Oh, I have missed all this. Buffo rolled over and poked his head out from under his blanket. Well, he said slowly. Hmm. Bilbo sounded half asleep already. You could come with us. Thorin's head whipped back to them faster than an elven arrow. Bilbo seemed equally shocked. What? Come with us. I know the others be thrilled to have you back. And I know you miss us. Bilbo blinked, and then he let out a sigh full of melancholy. I can't, he said, and there was a true regret in his voice. Bofor, I'd love to stay with all of you, but I just can't. Erebor, it's... it's too big. It's too empty for me. Filling up pretty fast from all accounts, I hear, Bofor said. Bilbo's smile was anything but happy. He swallowed hard and said, bravely if hoarsely, It's not that sort of empty. We could even make you a little room and cram it full of doodlies. It's empty because he's not in it, Bilbo interrupted shortly, and then he rolled over and tucked himself deep inside his blanket. The anger rushed back in a flood. The illusion of watching over his company on their quest was just that, a lie, a figment of his delusional mind. Thorin was dead, not alive. Thorin had been dead for three years, and still his guilt and grief and rage tore at him. He stared uselessly at the patchwork of Bilbo's blanket, and the familiar twisting sensation knotted in his belly. I will look after you, he said. I will make my amends. Buffer was still, and then he patted Bilbo's back. I'm sorry, he said softly. Yes, well, Bilbo sighed, straightening slightly and resting his head against his hand. I should really trade in that lucky number title of mine, shouldn't I? I had all the luck in the world, but it wasn't enough. Never is, Bofor said, in a voice that was nearly a whisper. You won't need luck, I swear it, Thorin vowed fiercely. Mahal be my witness, you won't need luck, you've got me. Untasted wells. He stooped and looked in mirror and saw a crown of stars appear. 
stems upon a silver thread above the shadows of his head. Notes Emun Uliel, the hills of Avendim, northwest of the Shire, Loon, the river Loon, Midland, the Grey Havens, an elvish port on the Gulf of Loon, ruled by Círdan the shipwright. Here the ships depart Middle-earth for Valinor. Belegost, Uzdol, Gabilgathol, Kingdom of the Broadwind Wars in the Blue Mountains. The kingdom was abandoned during the War of Raid, when the mountains were broken apart and much of it fell into the sea. The long-beard refugees of Erebor built their shelters in the ruins and reopened many of the old mines. Hobbit Whiskers In Concerning Hobbits, it is noted that one of the three varieties of Hobbit, the Stoors, grew whiskers upon their chins. The other two breeds were the Fallohides and the Harefoots, both beardless. The two great families of the Shire, the Brandebucks and the Tooks, were noted for their strong Fallohide strain. Hildegard Took, eldest daughter of Gerotinus the Old Took, sister to Belladonna Baggins, 